How Great Thou Art. Isn't that like one of the greatest songs ever on the planet? I had, um, I had a guy years ago. He, had, he was a brand-new Christian, been saved a couple weeks. And, and, um, and I, I uh, write worship songs. I have a bunch of them that are written. I don't, we don't do every now and then, very rarely, but I'll sing one um, like on a Wednesday night. But at that time, I was doing them a lot. And um, and this guy came up to me after service, and he and we had, and he said, um, "Did you write that song this morning?" I'm like, "What? I don't think so. What song did we?" Sing? And he said, "That one, How Great Thou Art." <laughs> and I said, "Yes, <laughs> I did." I was pleased that he thought I had that capability, but uh, now there's just something about that song. I, it, it always moves my spirit. It, um, it's, just, it's just one of those that you know that the Holy Spirit put every element of that song together in the heart of the person and the way the lyrics work, the way the music flows with it, everything. I, um, years ago, this was the early 90s, I was at a uh, Promise Keepers event in Texas. We were at Texas Stadium, the original Texas Stadium. There was probably eighty thousand men at this place, and um, the whichever the band, the Maranatha worship band, I think, who was doing the worship, and and Larnell Harris came out and led the congregation in that song. Eighty thousand men singing with Larnell Harris. He's a, he's a, he's got a decent voice, and um, <clears throat> and there was just something about that. It so overwhelmed me. It broke my. It broke me, and I'm just standing there crying like a little baby. Watch, I look around, and, I, and every man I could see everywhere was crying to that song, just singing and worshiping God. And it's something interesting. I, I always hear men talk about how they don't want to do things like men's retreat and stuff because they don't want to cry. Like That's because you haven't stood with 80,000 other men crying because your God is so big and so massive, so powerful, so transcendent. And he just kind of momentarily steps into your presence just long enough that you can sense that and feel that. And, it, and, it's, and it's too big for your limited physical human body and your limited brain to be able to process that, that grandeur and that majesty. And it, and it breaks you emotionally. And for some reason, we run from those kind of things. You ever, you ever process that? We run from the stuff sometimes that God is doing and he wants to do in our life in an overwhelming way. And um, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. <clears throat> you know, I, I got up, I was about to leave the house this morning, and, and, um, and my wife said to me, um, she said, it's not Christmas. It's not Valentine's Day. It's not the 4th of July. Why are you wearing that shirt? And I told her, you know, sometimes those things are harmful. Words hurt, ma'am. I'm just telling you, sometimes you look at other people's marriage and you think it's all peaches and cream. Sometimes it's not. Matthew chapter 17. <clears throat> when you translate something like that, do you lean it my way or do you lean it her way? 
Okay. I just want to know. I don't know how those things work. I don't know. I need, I need, I need all the deaf people. I need Romero to know he's on my side. So, all right. <clears throat> Focus, people. Um, so two weeks ago, I, I talked about the unconditional love of God to us, and I used the video clip of Dennis Prager, and he was, and he was really struggling with this, and, and I tried to walk us through the reasons that he's struggling with this, but at the end of the day, the, the very basic reason is because um, he, he, he's not understanding the true concept of relationship with God. He's understanding God being his God and him obeying the commandments and doing what the Bible says, but there is a, it's not a relational reason. It's a uh, God is the judge, God is the final word, that kind of thing, and that we're going to do what God says. And, and by the way, if that's the only way that you can do this, I guess it's okay. I really believe that if you can, if you can serve Jesus, even as a servant, but you don't get the total relational sign, I do believe you can still get to heaven, although somewhere I think there's a disconnect for you understanding the person and the work of Jesus Christ if all you're doing is serving him. Somewhere there's a disconnect. So somewhere that has to bleed down into how you, how your relation, how you look at this in relationship, and if there's no relationship, then ultimately are you really doing what he's asked you to do? Because his first commandment is love God, not not obey God, but love God, okay? And so in thinking about that and thinking about this unconditional love that God has for us, and then, and then the breakdown is that the mentality of unconditional love, um, the, the reason that I think we struggle with this is, is because, like I said, the relationship side, somewhere there is missing something that says, what do, what do I get up for every day? What is my heart? What is my attitude? What is my priority when it comes to my life? Okay, so, so I want to look at this. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, six days later, Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, and he led them, on a, led them up on a high mountain to be alone. We see where, we see where through the New Testament that, um, that, that we have. You, you know, I've heard this all my life. You ever heard this, Jesus has no favorite kids? You know, there's a lot of scripture that disagree with that. You ever notice that? There's like a lot of scripture that disagrees with that. Now, does that mean he loves uh, some of his kids more than others? And it's not, I don't believe so. Um, but, uh, but, but God does bless some people more because of how they interact with him. Right? We, we have a thing in our family. It's a joke. It's been a joke, although it's a true thing. Um, that my son sitting here is my wife's favorite of all of our children. And, and she's the only one that denies it. All the other children are like, that's true. Isaac says, that's true. We understand Isaac is her favorite. But here is his argument to that, is he treats her the best. Right? That's his argument. I, I've been around his entire life. I think it's a, a, not a true argument, but I don't think it's legit. But, uh, but that's his argument. You know, here's the thing. I have found that you respond to God, and God will respond to you. you. You do the things that God wants from you, and he will use you more. He will bless you more. He will do stuff in your life more. Why? Because I don't know if we go all the way to the, the category of you're one of his favorite kids, but we do see where he, he 
pours out himself onto people that hunger after him more than other people because these other people don't care. It's a, it's a relational thing. Okay, so we even see this with Jesus. You have the 70, the 70 disciples or followers, and, and he sends them out, and they do all kinds of miracles and pray for the sick, and they get healed and cast demons out, all kinds of stuff, right? And then he has the 12, right? And the 12, um, 11 point something. But um, the 12 go out, right? And they do all kinds of miracles and things like that. And then, and then we see that these three, they're in a different circle in relationship with Jesus. Peter, James, and John walked closer with Jesus and had a more relationship with Jesus, or at least a more connected relationship with Jesus than the rest. All right? So now Jesus is going to go up on the mountain to pray like he normally does, and he tells Peter, James, and John, I want you guys to go with him, and we're going to go pray. Okay? And, and so he takes them with him, and he led them, the way it says, he led them up on a mountain to be alone, but that's what he was doing. Was he, anytime he went up to be alone on the mountain, it was because he was going up there to pray. And I believe that's what he was doing when he got up there. I don't think it just jumps right into the next sentence, but I, I think if we just jump into it like, um, like nothing, you know, they get up there, and all of a sudden Jesus starts glowing. I don't think that's the way it worked. I think that, the, that they were spending time talking to God while up on top of that mountain. Then the very next sentence, as the men watched Jesus' appearance, was transformed. So as, as this is happening, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. This is, this is a moment, right? This is a big moment. This is, this is powerful. And here's the thing. is Jesus invites Peter, James, and John because he wanted them to see this. Jesus, Jesus knew he was going up to meet with God. Here's a question for you you may have never processed. We call this the Mount of Transfiguration, right? We name it. We, we, we name it a thing, Mount of Transfiguration, and we're processing this as a thing, okay? But here's, here's the thing that you may not have processed before. How many times did Jesus go up on a mountainside to pray that the exact same thing happened? There was just nobody else there to record it. But he did the same thing. Jesus is doing the same thing that he does. He just has uh, Peter, James, and John come along with him. And here's something you may not have thought about before. How did, did uh, Peter, James, and John know that this was Moses and Elijah? Think about this. Because this theologically is important for us long term. We talked about this at the journey at my house a couple of weeks ago. When you get to eternity... Um, when you get to heaven, do, do you know people? Right? And Scripture, scripture says that you're going to know people as you're known now. Right? Well, here's the thing. They automatically knew who Moses and Elijah was. Now, he, here's where we have to process. Okay, I'm going I'm to theologically probably mess this all up for us. But this is how it works. Okay? When you step into eternity, you're, you, you are given your new body, your new mind. You're now, um, um, the, way we, the term we would use is you're now perfected in Christ Jesus. You're, you're made perfect, okay? That's when we step there. And then we will know people on earth. That we will know people in eternity as we knew them on, our, on earth, as friends, as family, as our, as our spouse. We'll know them all like that. But then everything will be so much different. Jesus is so much brighter, it outshines everything else. All the other relationships, our marriage, our, all that stuff. Okay, now, here's the thing. 
they had not stepped into eternity. So how did they know Moses and Elijah? They didn't have the perfected mind and all that other kind of stuff. How did they know? See, see, here is, guys, this, this can play so much into your existence on a daily basis if you'll, if you'll go down this road with me. When we allow the Holy Spirit to invade our limited existence, he can transcend our existence. See, what happens is eternity, heaven, the things of God, came into their world. And for just a brief moment, their mind and their spirit was opened up in that little place in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 that says we look through a cloudy glass dimly. That was taken away for just a, a brief moment. Not completely because they didn't see God, right? And, and some people would argue that when you get to eternity, you, by the way, you never, ever get to see God, ever, because he's too big, too powerful. I can't totally go there, but I can say he's pretty big. I can go there. But here's the reality. The, 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 the majesty and the sovereignty and the transcendence of God invaded their limited humanness for, for just long enough that they could see Jesus a lot more like he really is. It's not like he began to glow. I think the veil began to take off their eyes. Have you ever wondered why Jesus walks up and immediately a demon recognized who he was? Happens all through New Testament. Because they could see without the veil. The demons don't have the veil. We have the veil. We have the blindness to the spiritual things. And for just a moment, that was taken off, and they began to see Jesus a little bit, not, not totally, but a little bit more like he really is. And then all of a sudden, they realize there's two dudes saying that that's Moses because the, it was, the, the cover was off their eyes, and they saw oh, that's Elijah. As you, do you realize that, that the closest we can get to that on this earth is walking in the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's one, I just say this often, and most of the time I say it in passing, and every now and then I'll preach and teach about it, but one of the greatest gifts you have is praying in the Spirit because it transcends you. It transcends your existence, and you begin to pray. The Holy Spirit begins to pray through you. That's way better than all the prayers you've ever prayed put together. And, and, and some, for some reason, we resist this sometimes. We resist this because of the intimacy and the revelation. See, here's one. We, we talked about this quite a bit on Wednesday nights, and, 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 I, and I talked about Ananias and Sapphira being killed and all this other kind of stuff. And here, here's, here's the statement that can help us if we can, if we can grab onto this. The, the closer we get to the Lord, the more his power is revealed in our life. In other words, healing and supernatural things. The closer we get, not the more we pray for that stuff, but the closer we get to the Lord, the more his power is revealed in our life. But here's the part that, and, and that's not what bothers us, right? The, the second half of that is what bothers us. And the more that we are immediately accountable to his sovereignty and his holiness, the more that we're accountable to his holiness is what, re, is what we resist. It's not, well, God, your power. But see, you can't have one without the other. The, God's not going to start burning with fire in, in the middle of your existence and not burn up stuff. 
And so he, you, we want his power, like fired from heaven and all this. We want his power. We want the supernatural. We want the miraculous. But what happens is along with his power and his presence, that's a fire. It begins to burn stuff up in our life. And we're like, wait a second, God, I didn't want you to burn that stuff up. I like that stuff. I need that stuff. I want that stuff. God says, then it's your choice. You don't have to have me. We're like, no, 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 God, I wasn't choosing not to have you. I want your power. But, and God says, it's either all or nothing. When you get me, you get holiness. When you get me, you get righteousness. When you get me, you get sovereignty and you get transcendence. And see, here, here is where we see the rest of the story. Peter struggles just like we do. Right? Verse 4, Peter exclaimed, Why? Why, Peter? Why did you have to say anything? This was not about you. You're not glowing. This is about Jesus. And he's interacting with God. And God brought a couple of his friends. And Jesus brought a couple of his friends. And one of them has got a mouth that won't quit. And so all of this is happening. Jesus is it's, it's connecting with God. You can see the presence, the presence. Not, we think about the glowingness of Jesus' power. That's not power. That's presence of God. And Jesus has got the presence of God. And Moses and Elijah are there. And Peter just starts running his mouth. And it, and it shuts the whole thing down. Peter exclaimed, Guys, I know I, I, we do this, okay? We do this. When the Holy Spirit really begins to move in our life, I've, I've, I've watched this for 30 years. When the Holy Spirit really begins to move in our life, we'll do one of two things. Shut it down and move on. Or we will start talking and praying loudly to drown out what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. We do that. I've watched this in, in worship services. I've watched it in prayer services. I've watched it all the time. I, I, I read years ago, I read a book by, um, um, who's the coat-waving guy? Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn. I read a book by Benny Hinn. And, um, and, and it really, it really began to, it, it, well, there was a bunch of things about that book. It was a very important time in my life that I read this, read this book. And God really began to do some things in my life. Because I didn't know for sure about Benny Hinn, right? I still don't. But... But I've been to one of Benny Hinn's crusades. Lynn and I were going through a very difficult time in our life, and we were literally, this is the way it happened. We were, it was in Denver, and we were just driving by the Coliseum place that it was at. We had no intention, no plans, and the big sign said, Benny Hinn. And uh, we, we made the normal little jokes you make about guys like Benny Hinn. You know, we're going to fall down, say the code, you know, all this stuff, right? And then, we, and then I said to Linda, you want to go? He's like, sure. So we pulled in, went into this coliseum, sat in the service, and for the next two hours, all I did was pray and cry. The presence of God was so strong in that place. And, I, and I'm not a Benny Hinn fan. I still don't. I don't like the falling down, stand up, falling down, stand up. That just drives me crazy. Just do it once and make it big and we'll all get it. I'm not against falling down, but come on. And, and I sat and watched in that place people with, with major physical ailments. 
and they were healed in that place. Sometimes Benny Hinn prayed for them, but 99% of them he did not. But they were healed just being in the room. Just like the shadow of Peter kind of thing. And if some of you are like, I just don't know. Guys, I was there. I'm not making this. But the pre- I, I, I'm not a sycophant of his. I'm the opposite. But the presence of God was powerful in that place. Powerful. The book that I read, he said this years ago. Um, this was back when he was first getting started. And he, was, he was like a protege of Catherine Coleman, by the way. Who's very strange also. And very anointed. I don't get that either. She's just bizarre. So, but he said that he was having a service and God told him one time, he said, just tell everybody to be quiet. Just be quiet. And he said, have you ever tried to get, I think he said that he had a, a Cuban band was doing worship that morning. He said, have you ever tried to get a Cuban band just to shut down and be quiet? He said it literally took like 15 minutes, and he kept saying, stop playing, shut down, everything. And it got totally quiet. And then there was, oh, somebody over here would start praying or crying. He'd say, I said, be quiet. Just be quiet. And he kept feeling that in his spirit, just, just silence. And he said, finally, it got quiet. And he said, we sat there for 30 minutes. Are you following what I'm saying? How quickly, if, if we did something like that this morning, how quickly would we begin to get up and leave? I'm not trying to pick on us. I'm, I'm saying that's, how we, that's who we are. It's how we think. And he said, and he sat there and sat there and it was quiet and it was quiet. And he said, after 30 minutes, he said, you could just sense the presence of God just moved into that place. And he said, everybody in that place was healed, set free, demons were cast. He said, we didn't pray for anybody. We didn't do nothing. It just began to happen. Guys, here's something that, that we struggle with. We struggle just being with the Lord. Because being with him brings a bunch of stuff. It brings overwhelmingness. That's the first thing. Another thing is it always will bring conviction. True worship will always bring conviction. Praise does not necessarily bring conviction. Um, singing about God and to God does not necessarily bring conviction. But when you move past all the stuff, you know, past the outer courts, inner courts, when you move past, it will always bring conviction. That's why when you're really trying to worship God, if, if, if somewhere in the process you didn't begin to repent, it didn't just happen and flow out of you, like I, I am so unholy, you know, the Isaiah 6 thing where he falls on his face, and I am a man of unclean lips, if that doesn't immediately start happening, you haven't entered into worship yet. Somewhere you're, you're it's not bad, but, but you're not worshiping yet. You're somewhere out of that. Guys, it's the presence of God. Peter, Peter feels like he has to say something. Guys, stop feeling like you have to say something. If you're going to say something, just pray in the Spirit. Pray in tongues. That's what I'm saying. Don't you say something. Let the Holy Spirit say something. And just begin to pray. But we run from these things. We're scared of them. We're, we're intimidated by them. Instead of just letting the Holy Spirit do what he wants and, and be what he wants. And here, the first thing is Peter begins to talk. That's wrong. Here's the next thing that he begins to do. Um, 
he be, as he begins to talk, he begins to explain what he thinks needs to be happening. Look, it's wonderful for us to be here. Ah, Peter, if you want, I'll make three shelters as a memorial. So he means shrines. I'm going to set up a shrine. God begins to do something, and our first reaction is, let's take our eyes off of God, let's take our eyes off of what he's doing, and let's build a little religious something that will help us be in control of this moment. Control of my feelings, all the externals. And so, so we kind of push God off to the side, and he's like, well, I was doing something. Yeah, but God, we need to build you a shrine. But I was doing something. Shh, 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 shh. We got this, God. That's our natural human thinking. And we, we are so, as human beings, we are so naturally bureaucratically bent that we have to, to bring it into our control, our structure, and our religious mentality. So we begin to build religion. Anytime God does, we build religion. Peter says, let's build these shrines. Let's build these memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You know what Peter also does here that I think sometimes this passes us by? He brought Moses and Elijah to the same plane as Jesus. Right? You say, well, we don't do that now. Really? I could name five church leaders' names just in the near circumference of our church. And we are putting people like that into positions of spiritual authority above God's Word, above the Holy Spirit, and above what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us. Because we will look at these people, we will recognize things that they're doing that are wrong, and rather than say, wait a second, that's not wrong, we, we, will, we will capitulate and, and put them up on a pedestal and not disagree with them because they are the superheroes of Christian faith. Moses, if, if you were going to build a shrine, which is out of line, Peter, but if you're going to build a shrine, don't, don't build one for Moses and Elijah. Build one only for Jesus. Then at least you're going the right direction. But see, he didn't see Jesus as that yet. He brings Jesus down to the context of the, or the, the same place as Moses and Elijah. So let's build a shrine. That this is where Moses and Elijah met with us. Hey, Jesus, that sounds like a good idea. And Jesus said, do you really think they're the focus of this? They're, the, they're what happened here? They're not what happened. They were, they were spectators. They didn't glow. They were spectators. They're not going to die on the cross. They were spectators. Just like you, Peter, they just didn't say anything. But they're spectators. And they got to spectate the same thing Peter, James, and John did, which was a conversation between Jesus and God. That was the reason. That was the focus. So Peter misses it on every level. Even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said. So God basically takes it back over and says, Peter, this isn't about you. But let me tell you what's going on. This is the key. He doesn't. You realize in this sentence God doesn't bring up Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, or John? He says, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. He's the reason. Jesus is the reason for this. This is God and Jesus. And then he says, listen to him. So here's the question that, I, that, that, that comes to me from this. A few questions, actually, but it starts with one. If, if, um, 
if Jesus was bringing great joy or Jesus was pleasing to God, King James says, my son, who I'm, um, who I'm greatly pleased or in who I'm greatly pleased. So if Jesus can greatly please the Lord or bring him great joy, and we're supposed to be, um, Jesus is our Savior, but he is also the path set before us. We are keeping our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's our direction. He's, the, he's who we emulate. He's who we follow. Then can I also bring God great joy? Now think about this. Because to ask that question, most people don't struggle with, yeah, I, don't, I think we can bring God. It's like the same thing with heaven or hell. Very few times over the years have I heard people have a big argument against heaven. But there are church leaders that have written books against hell. There's no hell. Do you believe there's a heaven? Well, of course. You can't. How do you come up? You can't just do away with one. Right? But we'll do that. Right? There's no hell, but of course there's a heaven. Everybody knows that. Right? It's like me saying there's no such thing as Brussels sprouts, but we all know there's bacon. I don't just get to choose that, right? I do not eat Brussels sprouts, by the way. My wife loves them. They're nasty little cabbages. So here's the thing. Can you, can you please God? Well, so we say, sure, we can please God. Okay, here's the thing. If you can please God, then can you displease God? And I've had many Christians over the years say, you can't displease God. And what they confuse is they're doing the opposite of what I showed two weeks ago with Dennis Prager. We're confusing God's unconditional love with his accountability to who we are and what we're thinking and what we're doing. Okay? Can you displease God? Yes. In fact, really a whole lot more stories about that in the Bible than pleasing God. Isn't there? You really got to look for the ones where they're pleasing God. You just open the Bible and you're finding ones that they're displeasing God. So here's the thing. Why do we think that we can't displease God? Well, you can't. God loves you no matter what. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. I preached that two weeks ago. God loves you no matter what. But he can be very angry with you, and you can be displeasing to him. I'll give you another one that kind of goes outside of our lexicon. You can disappoint him or be a disappointment to him. All right? But you can also please him. This, this basically, at least from the way I heard this, this is the message that, that we heard earlier. Make a choice right now. Are you going to be obedient or are you not? You're, you're making that choice. Are you going to be forgiven or are you not? That's not God's choice. That's your choice. God's, God's done everything to provide forgiveness for you. You have to choose to go down that road. Do you displease him? Do you please him? You choose that. But both are possible, okay? God's not some kind of neutral that you, that he's, you know, part of the argument, this is actually a theological argument if you went to seminary. God is so, um, uh, so much bigger than us. His, he's so much more majestic than us that he cannot come down to our level to be displeased by us limited humans. It's like a, it's like an ant. You cannot be displeased with an ant. Well, my daughter-in-law just sent me a picture this last week 
of my grandson that stepped in an ant pile and he got 40 little bites all over his leg. I was very displeased with those ants. I don't care how much bigger than I am, I would have squished every one of them. And then, this is a total sidebar, but, and then uh, my daughter-in-law, Amanda, felt horrible because she's such a bad mom because she let her son get eaten by ants. I, 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 we've, we've talked to her quite a bit about it. That is going to be like the least mistakes you've made. <laughs> if you're already feeling like a failure, <laughs> you have, future doesn't look good for you. Right? Right? Right, parents, mothers? Yeah, I mean, you know, yes, I don't want my, my child to get eaten by ants, but still, it's not something you could necessarily do unless you keep them in a, in a little bubble. You got to let your kids get out there and eat dirt and do stuff. You do. You have to let them get hurt. One of the kids on that, where is, is Noah here? I didn't see him. Noah got hurt on the mission trip this last week. You know the first thing I thought to my mind? He's got a cool story now. And you know what else? A lot of guys have cool stories. He got a scar to prove it. You need a scar to have a good story, right, guys? Right? My wife, I was driving in the Jeep yesterday. We went jeeping, and my wife looked at my arm. I have this big scar that runs down my arm right here. She said, where did you get that scar? Like, I had bicep surgery three years ago. You were there. She's like, oh, yeah, I remember now. <laughs> so here's the thing, guys. It is definitely possible to please God, and it's possible to displease God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. It was by faith. Now, this, we're, we're, about to, we're about to wrap... Some things together theologically are very important for us to get, which we don't normally put in the right uh, mental categories, okay? We mess this up pretty bad. It was by faith, this is important, that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. It was by faith. So did, was Enoch praying for that? Because that's the way we look at faith, right? Faith is the power for God to do something or the belief or the confidence that God is going to do something. That's kind of how we twist Hebrews 11.1, 1, the start of this chapter. Well, I need God to do something, so faith is believing it can, it can happen before it happens, right? That's how we do it. I, don't, I think that's, a, 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 I think that's a, it, it's hindering to faith. I think it's almost a perversion of what real faith is. I don't believe faith is believing God can do something because Enoch wasn't praying for God to take him to heaven. Enoch wasn't wasn't, that wasn't a request of his. It wasn't a prayer for him. I, I don't, so when God says that I took Enoch to heaven by faith, because of his faith, well, then what is it? He disappeared because God took him, for he was taken up. He, before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. So, so somewhere in, in these sentences here, he's saying, Paul is saying, faith is pleasing God, or it is pleasing to God. And you say, well, how does that work? See, I don't believe that, that Enoch had a, a confidence or a belief, what we would call faith, for God to do something. I believe that Enoch had relationship with God 
to the point where he believed God. Not believed in God and not believed God could do things. Believing God could do things is somewhere down the line. Believing in God is how the journey starts. But somewhere along the line, you go from believing in God, in other words, the the evidence that God is there somehow in your spirit or whatever, you go from believing in God and you begin to believe God. And that's the only faith it takes for everything else to happen. The only thing that you have to do is believe God. In other words, if he says he's the healer, you believe him, healing happens. You, you, see, we, we have to work up healing faith, right? We don't have to work up salvation faith. We work up healing faith. Salvation faith is easy as prayer, prayer, right? Which is kind of sad because I think there's people that have believed, well, they prayed a prayer. They didn't believe in their heart. They didn't, they didn't really confess spiritually. They may have confessed with their mouth, but it didn't come from their spirit. And I think there are people that, are think, that think they're saved, but they're not saved because they, they've never, they never, it never really was about God. It's just about a prayer, but we've made that so simple that it doesn't take faith. It just takes a cognitive uh, direction toward God. That's, that's why read John 3.16 from what I just said. It doesn't mean cognitive uh, belief. It means soul belief, spirit belief, which is life direction. You can't really have soul belief if your life doesn't go that way. If your life is not changed, you can't have, you can't have cognitive like we can do today, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> Where, well, I believe that, but you're not doing anything, but I still believe it. Do you? So we see where that, that we have this, um, this faith that Enoch had, which is I believe God so much that my life is completely different because of it. I believe that when God says that he loves me, he really does. And I want to respond to that. When God says that he's the everything, that he's the beginning and the end of everything, I believe that so much that I want to respond to that. Do you see the disconnect of how we process this same information? God, I believe that you're the provider. But then we struggle believing basic things like he's going to take care of my, my um, finances or my my life, or what, we, we struggle in those areas. Why? Because it's not because we don't believe he can do it. It's because we just don't believe him. I, I, I used to do this when I was teaching my, my boys how to um, swim. My oldest was, was very afraid of the water. My, my, both of them were, but, but the, my oldest was the worst. And I'd stand in the pool. You know, it's up to here. Stand in the pool. And I'm like, just jump. You know, sit there and say, you know, you're thinking, what as dad, what am I hearing? Some reason you don't think I can catch you. Somehow you're gonna jump and I'll be like, what was that? And turn and you're gonna drown right there. Right? Isn't that as dad? And that's why I would get angry at my boys trying to teach them to, to swim. Not because they couldn't do it, they could do it. Everybody knows you can do it. But it's because they could not trust me enough to just jump. We're going to make it, buddy. Jump. Right? We do the same thing with God. See, this is the difference between believing God can do something and just believing him. If he says that he is the provider, he is 
If he says he's the everything, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, then he is. If he says there's nothing too difficult for him, then it is, that's the truth. When do we just say, okay, God, help me stop trying to believe something. Help me to stop trying to believe you can and just believe you. Guys, this is a very difficult, <clears throat> it sounds like a tiny little step, but it's not. It's huge for us to say, God, I just believe you. But see, here's the thing is Enoch just believed God so much that one day God was just like, yeah, why don't you come hang out with me? I mean, I'm coming to earth every day to hang out with you. That's probably not how it worked, but, and eventually he's like, just join me. And he goes like, all right, think about that. Do you, do you think, this is not theologically sound, but do you think you get to heaven someday and God's just kind of hanging out, walking around, and Enoch's right there with him? Because he's like, he's, he's like my BFF. Right? He's the only human ever that we have record of that, that was so BFFs with God that he just took him. You think when he gets to eternity that Enoch just kind of wanders off somewhere? Never to be heard from again? God, you, you got to believe God's still hanging out with Enoch. Right? Think, think about the, the, the relationship that I'm talking about. He says, it is impossible. This is, this is how faith, Enoch's faith, transferred into um, pleasing God. He said, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. Do you hear this faith statement? You've got to believe that God exists. And he doesn't just mean in a, in a there sense. He doesn't mean you've got to believe that God is there. When he's saying that he exists, he's saying that God exists the way God defined it. Because <clears throat> the only way that we really know that God is there is God told us he was there. You didn't just come to that conclusion, and neither did any of the writers in the Bible. God told them he was there and said, this is who I am. So if you believe that God exists, the kind of faith that he's talking about here, there's an assumption here that Paul is writing in Hebrews that he's saying that, that faith is believing that God is who he said he is. Not just exists in a cognitive sense, but that he is who he said he is. And that pleases God. And what will happen is it will please God so much that you'll begin to feel the closeness of him, which means you'll reach out for him more. You'll feel his presence more. You, you, you uh, get closer to him. You feel his presence more. It pulls you in. You get closer to him. And this is a cycle. I'm going to show you that here in a second. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists, and he rewards those who, what, pray for stuff? No, who sincerely seek him. He will reward you if you seek him. We have, we have been trained. There was a time frame in my um, history of walking with Jesus where I had this idea that, it, that serving Jesus was all about a faith to get stuff. Man, that's got to be very irritating to God. You think that's what I'm here for, just to give you stuff. Oh, I'll give you stuff. It's, it's who he is. It's his nature, so he'll do stuff. But he's saying, I'll reward you, which is more than just answering some prayers, he said, I'll reward you if you seek me, sincerely seek me with your heart, 
with your existence. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. This is not that long after um, uh, Adam and Eve died. I don't mean hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm saying like 50 max. Add it up in Scripture. It's easy to add up. They tell you how old they are. Adam and Eve had not died very long before this at all. And the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth. Now look at this. He saw that everything, now this is how we always put it in the stories, this is how we always process it, is we would write this sentence here that the Lord saw everything that they did and the horrible sins they were doing. That's not what it says. It says the Lord saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Why is that important that there's a difference there? Because every, look at what's everything they thought and imagined was evil. Totally, consistently evil. So here's the question. When did they ever think about God? They weren't thinking about God. They used to think about God. They used to care about God, but they stopped even thinking about him. They didn't even think about him anymore. They didn't even, there's no possible way they had relationship. They weren't even thinking about him. And and everything they thought was evil. Now, here's the rest of it that when you you really process it from that, the, the next part of the sentence makes more sense. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them. Not because of the evil sin they did, which obviously they were doing. They didn't just think stuff. Obviously, they were doing stuff that was sinful. But the reason that the Lord was sorry is because he had a relationship. He, built, he, he created human beings to marry Jesus Christ, to be part of the family, to be connected, to love, to, to interact with each other, treat each other good, to, to care for each other. And they weren't even thinking about him. All they could do was think about sin and evil. And God is sorry. And here's the thing. It says, the very next sentence says, it broke his heart. It, do, do you realize there isn't, if you really read down through this, there isn't like this, God is angry and he's going to destroy all these people. Isn't that the way the story always seems to go? Especially if you hear it from the world's point of view. Well, God got so angry with all the people, he killed them all. That is not what it says. They desired so much evil that they eventually completely removed him from their mind, their thinking, everything, and it broke his heart, and he's done. How how much broken, hurtful pain can God experience before he's done? I'm saying compared to us. You know, we can, we can be so done with people, we're ready for them to die because they cut us off in traffic. I hope you die. Right? We, we, we act like that and we think that way. Why? At the end of the day, it's because somewhere the problem is us. Have you ever thought about that? When you get angry in traffic and you respond in an angry way, it's because you have a problem. 
You say, no, they cut me off. But they didn't make you get angry. They didn't make you think bad thoughts. They didn't make you say bad words. They didn't make you do anything. All they did was probably, my wife and I kind of discussed this the other day, they probably were doing the exact same thing when you accidentally cut the person off about two blocks earlier. <clears throat> they may not had, they may, this is just, I'm just spitballing here. They may not have had a particular bent to destroy your day. <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe you saw more into it than, than maybe was happening. Right? How much, how much does God take before it actually breaks his heart? Because we just don't want him. We don't want him. The only reason we breathe, we don't want him. The only reason there is an earth, well, we don't want him. The only reason there are people, well, we don't want him. Now look how he continues. The Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, the people, the large animals, small animals, scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. Here's a study if you want to process this. Why did he kill the animals too? There's an authority thing. There's a responsibility thing there. There's an Adam and Eve supposed to be taking care of all of this. The animals hadn't done anything. But human beings were given authority. This is, this is one of the reasons why I believe human beings try to put animals above humans. We do two things. We either put animals totally above humans or we bring humans down into the animal kingdom. And either way, it is a direct attack against the sovereignty of God creating humanity in his image. Both of those. When you would rather a frog live over a, a baby human, you, 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 you're, you're, you're messed up. Somewhere there is a distortion and a perversion of your natural thinking processes. Evil has set in, and you are constantly thinking evil. You processing with me? Okay. But Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. So, so how, what caused Noah to be blameless? See, sometimes we think God, Noah was blameless, and so he walked in a relationship with God. No, it's because he walked in a relationship with God that he was blameless. It's because of his heart for God that he's blameless. It's because he's pursuing God that he's blameless. It's because he loves God that he's blameless. Our holiness flows out of relationship. It does not flow out of obedience. Obedience comes from relationship. This is why the church can get so legalistic at times, because we think it's about going by the rules. Guys, it's about loving God. You will obey every rule there is when you fall deeply in love with God. You will obey every rule. You'll be convicted of things that you defended for years when you fall in love with God, because, because you're close to him. John chapter 15, verse 9, I have loved you even as the Father loved me. Remain in my love. Now, when you remain in his love, what will you do? When you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. So you love God, you will obey his commandments, then you will love God, and then you will obey his commandments, and then you will love God, and you will obey his commandments because it's cyclical. The more you love him, the more you want to do what is pleasing to him. So you will obey him, and the more you obey him, the more you realize his amazingness. You'll draw closer to that through conviction, repentance, and blessing, and then you'll love him. 
then you'll obey him more, and then you will love him more, right? And he says, verse 11, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. We look at society right now, and there's such a lack of joy. There's a lack of joy in, person, pers- in individual personhood. There's a lack of joy in marriage. There's a lack of joy in life. Suicide is through the roof. Why? Because we don't love God, and we're not willing to obey him. Why do we not obey him? Because we don't love him. <clears throat> if we love him, we'll obey him. Then we'll love him. Then we'll obey him. And it's amazing how just doing that will bring joy into your existence. But we play on the fringes, we play at the, at, the, at, the, at the outer side of this, and we keep God at a dis- distance, and we wonder why we are full of fear and we don't have joy. Because we're not loving God. Love him, not just do the stuff he says, but love him. Then you will have joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for your friends. And Jesus did this for us. You are my friends if you do what I command. You're not his friends if you don't. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You didn't choose Jesus. He loved you way before you ever even knew what love was. And all he wants you to do is respond back to that. Let me, let me finish with this. Two things. I have them in opposite order to make you process the order. First thing is obey God. This is how you please God. You obey him. You say, well, then you say we got to love him first? Yes. But you won't truly obey him unless you're loving him. Love him, obey him. Love him, obey him. The second one is earnestly seek him. Because why? The more you obey, the more you'll seek. So you can put these in any order you want. Guys, you can't just leave out part of it. Jesus says, if you love me, you will truly obey my commandments. And if you're obeying his commandments, it's because you're loving him, or it should be because you're loving him. You're doing this. And here's where it comes to the obey, what we start, started during worship with the message to us. Guys, don't play around with this. The church has got to stop. We've got to. We can't control the whole church, but we can control us. Guys, we've got to stop playing around. Do what God says. I don't think we have a lot of uh, luxury and liberty here. I believe God is about to start doing stuff that he will honor those and bless those that are obeying him, but he will not if you're not. Don't play around here. Get your minds, your lives, your existence right with God and do what he's told you to do. Be who he's told you to be, Colossians 1.10. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn how to know God better and better. You will grow as you are obedient to God. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power so that you have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray. I'm just going to pray. Pray for you and pray for me and we'll pray. But here's what I would like for you to process. If you're playing around, stop it. Just stop. Just surrender to God. It's not as, it's, you're not enjoying as much as you think or as much as Satan is telling you. Just stop. Sin is hurting you and it's hurting those around you. Just stop, okay? Just stop. And so how you do that this morning is you repent 
and you turn to God completely. And if you're struggling with joy, start there. Start with God, forgive me. That's where joy begins. Jesus, forgive me. And then let his Holy Spirit begin to roll through you. Begin to fall in love with him. If your Christianity is about the rules, if, even, if the reason you're at church this morning because you feel guilty and you're supposed to be at church because that's the rules you grew up with, you're in a religion, you're not in a relationship. You're in a religion. If the stuff you do as a Christian is because this is what you were taught, you're in a religion, let it become a relationship. Jesus, I need you. Let's pray. God, we just submit us to you. You're the king. You're the king. You're the ruler. You're the provider. You're the all-consuming one. You transcend anything we could possibly imagine. And then, God, you said you want relationship with us. So, Lord, I start by telling you, I am sorry. I'm sorry when when I make you second, third, 20th in my life. Sorry when my thoughts stop thinking about you. I'm sorry when my world becomes about me. Lord, forgive me and wash me clean. Forgive me, Lord God. Cover me with your blood, Jesus. Make me right with God. Forgive me. Jesus, forgive me when I love something more than I love you. Pull me back. When I go down that road, pull me back, Lord. I need you. I need you. I need you more than anything. Let your blood just move through this place. Holy Spirit, you do this. We ask you to forgive us. And then, Lord God, help me, teach me how to love you more. I want to be more like Enoch, where I just hang out with you, and I please you. I'm not pleasing the world. I'm pleasing you. I want to please you. In Jesus' name. As you're praying this, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to show you stuff, that stuff you need to change, stuff that means to be different, attitudes, directions, conditions of the heart, Listen to the Holy Spirit right now. Everybody in this room, every one of us, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Listen to him and go the direction he's telling you. Change the things that need to be changed. Repent about things that need to be repented of. Grab on to the Lord. Chase after him in the ways he's telling you right now. Guys, don't take this casually. Lord, we will listen and hear your voice. Pull us in close. Pull us in close. In Jesus' name. Amen. God, I pray before noon tomorrow you give every one of us in this room a chance to tell somebody about you. Maybe today at lunch, maybe on the phone tonight. 
Give us an opportunity and we'll take it. We'll do the best we can, Lord. Give us the opportunity and we're going to try to tell somebody about you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, get you a copy of Screw Tape Letters and we will see every one of you here Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon. Say hello to somebody before you leave. <laughs>